So I hope you're getting the idea that if you did not volunteer or participate in VBS, <laughs> that you have missed out because it was an awesome, awesome week. And uh, I made my acting debut here as uh, Nehemiah, so I think uh, Stratford had some scouts around. They're <laughs> looking for the next King Lear. I think I have a good shot. And, uh, you know, Peter O'Toole, Paul Graham, you know, right up there. But uh, one of the comments that I got, and I've heard lots of comments about the teaching and, uh, or about the, the VBS and things, but one of the comments that, that came through from a couple of different people was how much the adults who were volunteering were learning at VBS and how much they were learning from the kids even and seeing how the kids respond to the Word of God and seeing uh, even the things that they give feedback on, just thinking of things that, that they never that, that the adults hadn't really thought of and just looking at things through the eyes of a child and, and seeing things in a new light. And so I thought I would take the opportunity today to look into, uh, take a little bit of break from the You Ask For It series and just take today for a few minutes and look into the interaction of Jesus and children uh, because Jesus did actually have a unique relationship with children and that he uh, interacted with children and his interactions with children and the lessons that he taught through children are actually captured for us in Scripture. And so we have an opportunity today to just look specifically uh, at how Jesus um, engaged with children and taught adults uh, through the eyes and through the example of children. So our text today... Um, a couple of texts, both in Matthew, and this is, this is an event in the life of Jesus and in his teaching ministry where the disciples were with him, and it's captured in three of the four Gospels. Uh, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, I'm, I'm taking it from Matthew today. Matthew 18, uh, verses 1 to 4, uh, is where I will start. And in Matthew 18, as the disciples were traveling with Jesus and he had been teaching He says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he actually goes on in 5 and 6 and he says, And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck. Excuse me, and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so I have a two-part message out of this text. I have uh, just two things that I want to try and get across to you. First of all, the kingdom nature of children. What does it mean When the disciples ask this question of who is the greatest, what does it mean that Jesus takes a child, um, you know, and the word here it would be for just sort of a little bit more than an infant, maybe a a toddler, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and brings a child and says, you want to know about greatness in the kingdom, what is the kingdom nature of children that Jesus is trying to get across? That's the first thing we have to understand to understand what Jesus is teaching. The second thing that comes out of this text and in the following chapter in Matthew when Jesus refers to children again is our responsibility to children. So two lessons that I want to learn, the kingdom nature of children and our responsibility then to children uh, to treat them in a way that would be honoring to God and in the way that Jesus taught. And so first of all, the kingdom nature of children and the context here of Jesus' teaching is that the disciples have asked him a question. And so he's 
teaching in response to the questions that they ask. And the question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Or, or what does greatness look like in your kingdom, Jesus? The disciples are interested in this. They know that Jesus is the Messiah and they believe that He's ushering in a new kingdom. They think it's an earthly kingdom and they're thinking in earthly ways and they know how kingdoms are structured. Uh, like Elder Mark talked about, you get used to giving orders. You know, there's the guy at the top and there's the people underneath and it all goes down in the pyramid and the disciples are interested. Who's the greatest in your kingdom, in this new kingdom that's coming? And it's interesting because historians are always looking for greatness. People are always looking out for greatness. They're, they're considering what greatness is. And, and greatness is sometimes unexpected. And sometimes it's invisible. And sometimes it's not seen at the time. Sometimes we look back in history and realize that someone was great and they didn't realize they were great at the time or we didn't realize or acknowledge that they were doing great things. You know, we realize that at the end of her lifetime, obviously, you know, someone like Mother Teresa, we recognized her greatness, but she was Mother Teresa for a long time before we recognized the greatness in someone like Mother Teresa. And so greatness sometimes goes unnoticed until we notice it afterwards. And sometimes greatness is thrust upon someone. You think of someone like Winston Churchill, and, you know, part of what we call the greatest generation. And, uh, you know, nobody expected him to be the leader of the Western world at the time, to lead the world to victory. And, and so it's sort of thrust upon people sometimes. And so greatness can be invisible, it can be unexpected, you know, not seen. And, but greatness is an ambition. Some people have an ambition to be great. They, they just want to be great. They see fame, they see greatness, and they want to be a great person. Other people want to do great things. They have an ambition to do things that are great. And then other people just want to be recognized as great. And those are sort of three different ways to greatness. And, you know, I think some people would really like to have the recognition of greatness without being great or doing great things. And so those are all different things. But the whole point here is that the disciples are just common, common to mankind. We're, we're interested in greatness and wondering what greatness is. And so we consider the biographies of great people and we look at monuments and statues. And, and you can see in our culture what we consider to be greatness. We see the people that we elevate, some of the people that I just mentioned. But also you look around and you consider maybe going to Ottawa or something and you're looking at the statues that are in the city. Or you're looking at the the buildings that are built and that are named after people. And you think, well, they must be great people. They've had a whole building named after them. Or they've they've had a statue built. And and look at that statue. Or or we think of, uh, you know, the the generals riding their horses on on the, you know, the... and, And we just think of all of these things of greatness. Or like the Mount Rushmore where, you know, get your head carved 80 feet high in a mountain. That's got to be pretty great. Um, you know, so we think of greatness culturally and we think of who we, what builds status to greatness in society. Or we think of the red carpet, right? If, if you get the invitation to come down the red carpet uh, at the uh, Academy Awards, then, then that's greatness. And, and so in culture, we have this idea of sort of lifting up these ideas of greatness. And as we look around, we don't find statues to infants. We, you don't see any buildings named after a toddler, you know. How can they be great? They haven't done anything worthy of greatness yet. They can't be great. You know, so we don't, we don't see baby statues and, and, uh, you don't see toddlers on the green, on the, on the green, on the red carpet. I'm colorblind in my head. Uh, (laughs) But Jesus, the answer Jesus gives is just another revelation of how countercultural and how upside down God's kingdom and God's values are to our world and our culture. The values that God has 
are completely different than the values that we express. And so when the disciples ask Jesus these questions, they're always getting these upside-down answers that they're not expecting. This lesson that Jesus teaches here fits right alongside all the other lessons we know. That the first shall be last. That the meek shall inherit the earth. That the poor are the blessed. That God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. That God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the powerful. All the values of God are upside down to our values. And so the first lesson here that we get from Jesus as he brings this toddler and puts him in front of the disciples is he says, you want to know greatness in the kingdom of heaven? It's right here. It's this little child. That's greatness. And that's not what the disciples are expecting, I can assure you. What can you think the disciples are expecting the answer to be? They probably saw themselves as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? They know how the deal works. Jesus is saying he's the Messiah. He's going to be the new king. We were with them from the start. Jesus, you remember we were just fishermen. We stuck it out for those three years. We were your best friends and your best counselors right from the beginning. We knew you before you were famous. And so... Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're all looking around thinking it's got to be us in some sort of order. You know, something about us. That's what we're expecting. That's, they know how it works. They know that the best followers and the, and the closest advisors and the best friends get the plum jobs. That's how it works in the world. And so they expect Jesus to give them a roster of the people that will be great, or at the very least a list of the kinds of people that will be great so that they will know how to jockey for positions of greatness in the kingdom when it comes. They're looking for the inside scoop on how to be great. But Jesus turns everything upside down and he says greatness in the kingdom of heaven is this little child, it's this little toddler. You know, status and medals and magazine covers and red carpet walks are not the measure of greatness. Education and money and good looks and intelligence, that is not the measure of greatness. Powerful friends or inside connections, that is not greatness. If you want to be the greatest in God's kingdom, you have to humble yourself like a child. There is a kingdom nature in children that Jesus is trying to express to us to say, look at a child, and if you want greatness, there are things you need to learn there. And that's hard for us. Children, toddlers, naturally embody elements of greatness in the kingdom. What do they embody? They embody weakness, need, trust, humility, simplicity, unimportance. There is no merit of their own. And you have to understand the cultural understanding of children at this time compared to sort of the antithesis of children that we hold up in this time. At that time, children were the most least important. I mean, they were loved by their families, but in society, they were the least important. You know, there were not VBSs. There were not um, piano lessons and violin lessons and sports camps and leadership camps and, you know, all this stuff. Our culture is fascinated and intoxicated with living vicariously through our children and elevate children to be virtual gods among us, frankly. And we worship our children to an unhealthy level. Well, at this time, they were maybe unhealthy the other way. Children outside of their family were virtually ignored. There was nothing for children. They were the least interesting people in society. And child mortality was at a very high rate. And so children were, they were just, and and if they weren't with family, they were usually thieves and you know they just were not looked well upon by society and so when 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 jesus takes a child and puts him in front of the disciples you got to understand jesus is saying you're the to be great in the kingdom of heaven is to be the least important in culture to be to be the least recognized in society that you need to be helpless and powerless and humble and simple and unimportant like a child children are powerless they need their parents 
Children have trust. They have to trust their parents for everything they have. There's a natural humility in the face of a world that is much bigger than a child understands. I mean, they need a nightlight on in their bedroom at night because they're afraid of that big, dark room, even though that room might only be 10 by 10. It's a big, scary room to a child. And so they need, they understand there's a natural humility in a child in the face of a world that is way bigger than they can understand. And children are capable capable of simple obedience. And children are sincere and not calculating. They're not trying to do what the disciples are doing. The, the children are not worried about, you know, who loves them and, and where their next meal is coming from when they have parents who love them. They trust their parents and they don't have to calculate and scheme to try to figure out how they get what they want the way the disciples were. And so these characteristics of children are what Jesus wants to get across. And most importantly, that in children there is no merit of their own. They are carried from the time that they are a baby. They are nursed and they are bathed and they are dressed and they are fed and they are led from place to place and they offer nothing at all of their own merit for the generosity and grace that's shown to them by their parents. I know, I'm a parent. Isaac offers no merit for the generosity and grace that he has shown by Wendy and I. And if you're parents, you know this. And if you can remember when you were a child, you went for years and years and years and you never even thought about having to pay back for anything. It was just given to you because you exist. And that is the heart of a child that they realize there is absolutely nothing they can offer to their parents to receive all the grace and love and mercy and care that they receive from their parents. They didn't earn any of it. And Jesus says, you want greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And he puts this toddler in front of the disciples. And he says, you've got to get like this. Stop asking me questions about who's going to be the greatest. And how do I get to be the greatest? And you know, what's the pecking order in your kingdom? That is the wrong way of thinking. That's an adult way of thinking. The biggest problem, one of the biggest problems we have to understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ is we grow up into adults. Being an adult is the antithesis of understanding the gospel of a loving father. Because we grow up into adults and we think we're quite sophisticated. We think that we have, um, you know, power. You know, we used to have to have be fed and now we order off the menu. We used to be led everywhere that we go and now we drive ourselves. You know, we used to know nothing and now we think we know something. We needed to be cared for in every way and now we have a job and we pay for our own stuff and if we want something, we just go and get it. You know, so as we become an adult, we leave behind these characteristics that make it really hard for us to understand that we have to humble ourselves like a child, that we need to be carried, that the mercy and grace that's given to us is not by any merit of our own, that we haven't earned anything, no matter what our successes in business or no matter how smart we are, that doesn't mean anything to God. And in His kingdom, it has nothing to do with greatness. And so He goes on and He says, Jesus says to them, He says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, forget about greatness. In fact, if you don't turn from your sins and come to Me with the humility that a child comes with, then you won't even get into the kingdom of heaven, let alone be great in it. And so Jesus just takes the disciples and goes, whoop, you know, You guys are way too grown up. You've made things way too complex. You are way too sophisticated. You think you know something and you think you can earn something and you know nothing. You have to become a child again or you're not even going to get into the kingdom of heaven until you come to God realizing that you are bankrupt and you have nothing and you need nothing but mercy in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. All you're going to do is complicate your way in or out actually. (laughs) You know, you're going to think that God owes you something or that there's some merit or that you have to earn something. And Jesus says, you're not even going to get into the kingdom of heaven if you don't understand that 
God, your Father, loves you like a father loves a child. And there is nothing you need to do to earn anything to be great in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the opposite. You have to humble yourself with the sincerity of a child and understand that you have no merit to get into the kingdom of heaven. And those are strong words. And that's not the answer the disciples are expecting. It's not the answer they wanted to hear. It's also not the answer we would expect, and it's maybe not the answer we want to hear. To hear as adults after we're self-sufficient and we've made our way and we have our job and we've got our life in order, and then God comes to us and says, you know what you have to do? You have to forget all the, you know, forget everything you think you are and humble yourself and come for a free gift of my mercy. Well, that's hard. That's hard, right, when you're an adult. That's hard. That's not the answer we want to hear. We want God to say, yeah, I've been watching your life and you're a pretty good person and so you get in. That's not what God says the gospel is. That's not what Jesus says we need to learn from children. We need to learn to humble ourselves, to take our proud hearts and put them back inside our little child bodies. And we have to stoop down and get low before God and recognize that all of our success and all of our caring for ourselves and all of the sophistication and complication that we think we have in our life, it's meaningless to God. He wants humble hearts. A humble and contrite heart he will not despise. So we need to hear these words from Jesus. They're strong words. They're unexpected words. And we live in a generation of entitlement where we get what we want and we are not denied things. And we are a generation that needs to hear Jesus when he speaks this way to our proud hearts. And we need to make sure that we are quick to listen to Jesus and humble ourselves quickly and humble ourselves as children and listen. Secondly, our responsibility to children. So what's going on here now in the next chapter in Matthew 19, there's another text of this incident. And uh, the other two Gospels put them together. Matthew has them separate. It's probably the same incident. It probably happened on numerous occasions, frankly, because people were always bringing their children to Jesus. And so in Matthew 19, 13 to 15, it says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. And so now the context of this scenario is that Jesus is out in public. He's doing his public ministry. He's teaching. And people are aware that Je- of Jesus and his ministry. And they're bringing children to Jesus with a purpose. There's parents or there's older children who are bringing younger children, infants and toddlers to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples are rebuking these people who are bringing the children to Jesus. And they're saying, basically, you know, this guy's busy. He doesn't have, he doesn't have time for you and he doesn't have time for all these kids. This is Jesus. Don't you know what he's doing? He's got lots on his plate. And so it's interesting to notice the reactions of people here. And it's interesting to notice if you were to go through the Gospel of Matthew, how people approach and what's going on with Jesus and the people around him. The first thing is that you might notice is that the Pharisees and the scribes are often described as coming to Jesus. And so there are these people who are not really happy with Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, and they're going to Jesus. They're coming to confront Jesus and have it out with them. And then you have the crowds of people as you go through the Gospels. There's crowds of people that follow Jesus. And they're attracted to Jesus and they want to hear from Him and so they follow Him. But the difference here is the children are brought to Jesus. 
They're neither going to Jesus to confront Him or or to encounter Him, and they're neither following Him, but the children are being brought to Jesus. Children need to be brought to Jesus. And so if you consider a Sunday morning, you might... Uh, you know, you'll see coming in from the parking lot and sort of filling into the church and in the lobby, you will see children being brought into the presence of Jesus. That the child in this case, in this story with Jesus and the children in our care are under the care of parents. That as we talked about of the nature of children is that they, they don't go anywhere by themselves. They don't have their own self-will. They need to be led by the hand or they need to be driven in the car. They need to be taken places. And so in this situation, we have a situation where the, the children are being brought to Jesus. The children are under the influence of others. Other people are deciding where the child goes. It's the parents bringing children to Jesus. And they want Jesus to lay His hands on them to bless them. And not just bless them, but also pray. And so the disciples are rebuking these parents for bringing the children even though in chapter 18 the disciples were just told that the children were the greatest in the kingdom, but, you know, like us, they don't learn very quickly. And here they are rebuking the bringing of the children, and Matthew is recording their mistake for all of us, which is often interesting. People talk about, you know, who wrote the Gospels and why would we believe them, and it couldn't have been written by those people. It's like, the, you know, the, Matthew writes in the Gospel the very unflattering story of the disciples rebuking the people and telling them to take the kids away. And then Jesus rebukes the rebukers. And he says, literally lay off or hands off of those people. Don't in any way hinder. He doesn't say don't just stop children from coming. He says don't in any way even hinder their coming to me. Don't do anything to get in the way of a child coming to me or anyone bringing a child to me. I've already told you that the kingdom belongs to people like these and no one will come into the kingdom on their own two feet. No one is going to come in on their own reputation. Nobody is going to come to Jesus on their own self-sufficiency. Everybody needs to be brought to children. And we already saw that the problem we have as adults is that we think we've established on our own sufficiency, on our own identity. We think that we know who we are and what we need and how we will get there, and we don't. We have to come to Jesus, just like these children. We have to be brought there outside of our own self-sufficiency. And a child knows they have no sufficiency in himself. But this bringing of the children to Jesus, this is the point I want to make at the end here. It's interesting, isn't it? That the parents were seeking the blessing for their children, that they wanted their children to be known by Jesus and to know Him. And what it reminded me of, it reminded me of the responsibility and the opportunity and the stewardship that we have as parents of children. That our children are to be brought to Jesus. That children are to be brought to church. I mean, I was brought to church. My parents carried me at the beginning to church and then they rolled me in a stroller and then they walked me to church and then sometimes they spanked me into church. (laughs) But my parents brought me to church. My parents brought me to Jesus. And I remember everything, excuse me, about that first church. I remember the way it looked. I remembered the way it smelled. I remember the gravel driveway that we kicked all the stones in as we came in. I remember the grassy little hill that we would run down after church. I remember the carpet. I remember the pews. I remember those plywood and tube metal tables and chairs in the Sunday school. Remember those? They always pinch at some point. Um, You know, I remember the paper doll Joseph and his awesome coat. I remember flannel board Noah. I mean, I just... (laughs) I remember all of these things from, from, I remember the closets, I remember the pulpit, I remember the altar bench, you know, I remember shaking hands with the guys as you came in the church because they shook hands with everybody. I remember everything about that church. I remember 
that I was brought to church, I mean, four or five times a week in those days. If church was open, we were there, it seemed like. (laughs) And I was brought to Jesus at that church, and I knew I belonged there because the people there were my family, and I had always been there, and they had always been a part of my life. And that's where I was blessed and prayed over, and that's where my future was made secure in Christ. And so my indebtedness to the fact that my parents brought me to church, the fact that my parents led me to Jesus, for, brought me into the presence of Christ for blessing and for prayer, it's incalculable. I mean, the value of that in my life as a child, and now the value of that in my life as a parent of Isaac, like I can't put a price on it. The fact that Isaac could grow up in a church with a loving family and men that he could follow, and, and that he was a child that was loved by families that he didn't even know. You know, it's easy to put a price on a gym membership. You know, maybe 50 bucks a month. Not worth much. You know, I can put a price on satellite TV. Too much. Not worth it. Don't have it. You know, don't have satellite. Netflix, Netflix that's right. You know, we put, we put a value on our family cell phone bill. And you have to try pretty hard to keep a family cell phone bill under 100 bucks for two or three people. 100 bucks a month. You know, and there's lots of things that the world has tricked us into valuing. I can put a value or a price on a vacation or a boat, and it might be a few thousand dollars, might be $10,000 or even more. Things that we feel that we must value. But internet and TV and vacation and boats, they are not worth a penny compared to the value of my son Isaac having this church that loves him and being brought into the presence of Jesus. We've got to get our values straight here. Jesus is saying. We've got to understand the value proposition of bringing our children into the presence of Jesus so that they can learn that His ways are good, so that they can learn that His Holy Spirit is for them to protect them for their life, to give them wisdom, to lead them in paths of righteousness, to be there as the children just recited in the darkest valleys, that His rod and His staff will comfort them, that they should fear no evil, The presence of Jesus and bringing children into the presence of Jesus in the church or wherever, small group and care groups, is so far more valuable that Isaac has friends that care more about him than they care about the next party, that he has a place to hang out and feel safe, that he has adults around him who will teach him about Jesus and demonstrate service and generosity. And where the Word of God forms the foundation of his future, that is priceless. Jesus says... Bring the children to me. And he says, don't anyone hinder any child from coming to me. What does Jesus say about that in the earlier text? He said, if anyone would cause any of these children to sin or not come to me, it would be better that they have a millstone tied around their neck and get thrown into the sea. Jesus is dead serious about the value of children and the value of children in his presence. He's deadly serious. Jesus is the Lamb of God, but he's Also the Lion of Judah. I don't want to have to face Jesus someday having hindered a child from coming to him. And so we have to take this lesson from Jesus very seriously. You know, it's easy in this text. You know, you sort of bad disciples, good Jesus. Jesus likes children. We should all like children. Yeah, that's one sermon that's in there. (laughs) But that's not where Jesus left it. He said, no, you have to have the kingdom nature of children. You have to understand the humility and lack of merit 
and sincerity and simplicity of children as they come to me. That's how you become great in the kingdom. That's how you even get into the kingdom. Humble yourself. And he says, they are so valuable. Don't stop them from coming to me. Having a millstone tied around your neck and getting thrown into the sea is a better option for you than what will happen when you meet me if you stop these kids from coming. So let's take it seriously. Let's come to Jesus as children and let's bring our children to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you thanks for kids. We give you thanks for these children. We thank you for these volunteers that poured out their life, their, their summer holiday life for these kids this week. Lord, you are awesome. And we thank you that we can bring our children here and build a community, a family that loves them that they can grow up knowing other Christian kids. That is so valuable to us. That they can have friends that are their best friends who also love Jesus. Lord, it's just so important. Father, I would pray that as a church we would continue to lift children up and esteem them and value them. Primarily because what we stupid adults can learn from them. Because we have made things way too complex and we've gotten way too self-sufficient and we think way too much of ourselves to be great in your kingdom. Give us the humility of a child. In Jesus' name, amen.